Sidewalks is an annual pop-up storytelling ideas and literature festival run by the Centre for Stories. On 9th of October 2021, the third iteration of Sidewalks took over Perth and Northbridge with a curated whirlwind of talks, performances and readings. Special thanks to the sponsors that made Sidewalks possible in 2021. The Department of Local Government, Sport and Cultural Industries, Centre for Stories Founder Circle, Rainer Real Estate and Aspen Corporate Financial Planning. Thanks also to our in-kind venue partner for the Northbridge Block, North Metropolitan TAFE. Elders are an integral part of family and community across cultures. How can we learn from their vast life experiences? We start by listening. This is a recording from Still Life. In this intimate portrait of a life, Kami Olawoyo is in conversation with his father, Shagun Olawoyo. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for your interest uh, in our story, in our discussion, uh, in understanding a little bit more about what everyone's talking through today. I would think the topic of this conversation would be still don't know. And uh, the, you know, there's an opportunity here to explore uh, communication lines between fathers and sons in multicultural families um, and an opportunity to try and encourage others to develop those conversational lines. I'm a 43-year-old man sitting with my father um, going through a series of questions, some of which probably should have been asked a long, long time ago. And when the opportunity by the Centre for Stories team was presented to have my father on a stage with witnesses <laughs> to be able to ask any questions that I wanted, it was a little bit too good to pass up. So I've scaled back from that to a middle point of uh, something that I think will let you know a little bit more about us. Dad, I just wanted to understand a little bit about your growing up in Nigeria and some of the key things that led to a meaningful youth experience that helped you, helped you uh, make you the man you are today. Mm. Is that over to me? Yeah. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for being here. My name is Shegun Olowoyo. What made uh, my childhood interesting uh, in Lagos, Nigeria, I'm from a um, working class family um, with uh, parents who moved from the countryside into commercial city center to better themselves. My dad worked in uh, worked as a contractor, as a real estate uh, rent collector, building construction organizer, and uh, we were raised with uh, values of we need to live according to our means. So that was drummed in by both my dad and my mom. But essentially my mom did all the rearing and the counseling and the raising and uh, us children um, fitted in knowing that we needed to contribute and uh, help mom uh, make the life we want to live. We were happy not to have lived in a slum because slum did exist 
in and around us, drugs, simple as might be today. Marijuana was regarded as a heavy drug that was in common usage in my time in the, in the 1960s, 70s, in Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, but uh, with our affiliation with the uh, Methodist Church, or the Uniting Church as it's known in Australia, uh, felt uh, you know, we were kept on the straight and narrow. Yes, we, uh, my mom and dad uh, married and produced six of us, two boys and four girls. And uh, we uh, all went to mission school, both primary and secondary schools. Um, values, values, participating, belonging to the church, belonging to the community, were strong foundations of um, how we were raised and formed. And um, we participated through the church, uh, provided our uh, ferried or couriered food items prepared by my mom in the, uh, both at home and during harvest uh, food celebration times. We couriered food, prepared food to elderly uh, members of the church, to their homes as a part of uh, connecting within communities. And we grew up um, in that neighborhood with a little bit of hint of privilege, which uh, we did realize while we were growing up. Uh, we grew up in, a, in the environment of the Parliament House, the recognizing what the race course, what a race course could be like, what parliamentary building could be like, government officials going to and fro with the flashcards. Uh, we recognized or we witnessed uh, Western uh, contractors uh, who were resident and representing the foreign companies in, within my suburb. We had a couple of embassies, both African uh, embassies and non-African embassies. So I, as an adult now, I recognize that's a, a measure of privilege when I look back to see the memory of uh, those who lived in slums or who lived in the countryside. While um, a teenager, uh, another formative aspect of myself uh, was uh, being a member of the uh, Boys Brigade, which is a church organization for the youth. Um, we were to uh, practice, um, we were regarded as soldiers of Christ uh, both uh, rec you know, uh, registered in songs that we sang and the practices or practices and activities that we engaged in. We didn't have opportunities to go to camps and things like the Boy Scouts did. However, we, uh, we were entrenched in um, Bible studies and uh, community service, be of, co be of service to the community. So they are very strong uh, foundations to my upbringing. 
they are strong. Um, it, it sounds like a very positive environment to be part of. My first time going to Nigeria was on business when I was maybe 35 years old. And I remember on the plane ride there, uh, as we were landing, I had a conversation with some of the people that were next to me and there was, let them know that I was the firstborn son of a Nigerian returning home for the first time. And the rows around me started singing, praying, and congratulating me on coming home. I always wondered and always felt if there was a hesitation on your side to expose us to Nigeria, being based here and exposed us to Africa. And was there any reasoning for that, uh, be it protection, be it financial restrictions, be it focus on what was here? I just wanted to understand a little bit more about that. Yes. Um, growing up, in Nigeria, knowing or hearing stories from older people than me, I knew of um, uh, cliches such as brainwashing, cliches such as racism, cliches such as um, uh, the African person is less intelligent and non-intelligent at times in uh, verbalizing, vocalizing uh, within the Western world and blah, blah, blah. Um, that um, consuming that before I reached um, TE level, I uh, formed a mind of, I being the first of the six children, I uh, set my mind on where my place was going to be in the world, as in, I saw the unfairness of it, I saw the ignorance of it, and I knew that um, I was to be built strong and I was not to allow myself to be walked over. Even though uh, in my own local social and um, cultural environment, uh, we knew of um, the trading of barbs going on between boys. And knew, we knew about bullies, we knew about uh, defending yourself, standing up for yourself. And uh, growing up in a notable, um, not a notorious, but a notable suburb called Lafiaji, uh, we needed to stand up. And uh, that set me up well, having to settle and live in Balga, what is called Balga in Perth, Western Australia. I knew I was all set up. So to be able to uh, fend off uh, people who were quick to berate and denigrate, um, uh, social, economic, uh, uh, cliched uh, assessment of what people who live in working class domain were to be like and to be treated like. So I, it seemed therefore looking back with this uh, storytelling session, I had uh, structured and built myself to uh, be prepared always to uh, to argue the toss, to defend myself and to uphold uh, my knowledge and uh, my total awareness of where society, sociology of a society or culture is and where it's going. So I, um, the, the reason why I make that as a, as a preface to what I want to say is that um, I raised, uh, I raised, I raised 
our children, my children, I will need to step back in a minute. I raise our children to, uh, to be of a firm mind and to not to be shaken at all as to what their, what their uh, psychological status is of their identity and what their social status is as in where they live, not to be robbed of their self agency, self-privileges uh, that may be provided and afforded by the country that we live in, as in Australia. So I made sure that my children were raised strong uh, so that uh, from the color of their skin to uh, what school they went to, um, my children were not to be berated or be denigrated and they needed to be able to stand up for themselves individually and collectively. Uh, and that is the essence of um, not necessarily uh, encourage, talking about taking them or returning them to Nigeria. And I did sink in the knowledge that they're born here, they drink the water here, they pro they're provided with schooling and um, fresh air here, they are Australian. I didn't buy into, um, buy, you know, being, uh, I didn't buy into them being uh, biracial. I reckon that is part of a brainwashing cliche. I didn't, I don't buy into, um, uh, you know, when they say you're crossbred. Uh, that is just science doing its own thing. You know, if if we were if we were to be segregated and to be uh, manipulated in any psychological or sociological ways, we wouldn't have been given the cognition or the brain power to be able to see each other as humans. So I put into my children as uh, we are one race. It doesn't matter the uh, the colors of the skin, and the color of the colors of the skin is just a cover. Beyond that, we are completely the same. So we are, my family is not to buy into all of these other uh, aspects of uh, human life that uh, wants to uh, set the scene for who is higher class than the other or who is to play the role as uh, the slave lot and who is to play the role as master lot. And uh, coming to Australia, um, you know, put, put us very well uh, because it, Australia allows us to be able to make uh, our opinions raised without being um, violently, um, violently disenfranchised as we may see um, in many or uh, some of the Western, Western environments. So this is the reason why we didn't, we, we, you know, we didn't really talk about, in my family, going back to Nigeria to get any culture. And the, the backstory before this is just that, uh, I just want to mention that um, we, uh, uh, myself and my wife, uh, had three, have the three children, but my wife died very, very early in the course of things when the third child was, um, was uh, four years old. 
and I ended up having to raise all the three children uh, by myself and thanks to what my mother had uh, uh, indulged us in, myself, my first, the next two sisters, we were part and parcel of uh, making the home, cooking, laundry, going shopping, helping to carry load, to bring it from shopping to home. They came on to good, good use for me as, uh, as a single parent. And I'm so glad that uh, my children turn out the way they have and what they have gone on to establish in their own rights today. It makes more sense, so thank you. You mentioned uh, my mother, your wife. Um, we've never had a conversation, I don't think, about her passing. As importantly, we've never had a conversation about you meeting her. I still don't know where and how you met. I still don't know how you fell in love with her, why you fell in love with her. You um, are an African man from Lagos, one of the biggest, most dynamic cities in the world. She was uh, a white lady from Bridgetown, one of the smallest country towns in Australia. Can you please tell me how you met and <laughs> how you fell in love? The front end of that story, not a back story. Front end of that story is that um, I was studying agriculture and uh, in the countryside, Northern, which is 100 kilometers from here, came into the city here in the city of Perth. Uh, once in fortnight, uh, went to uh, Funky Motown, which was a nightclub in the uh, north side of North Bridge. I uh, met a couple of ladies there. Um, uh, took me over. <laughs> yeah. She was, she shared, she shared a house with some, with some nursing friends. She was in us. She had some, she had house with some nursing friends in Netherlands, Hampton Road, and um, I was cooped up for half the night before returning to Northern, um, and uh, kept in touch and all of that. And so whenever the future led us, we, I, I kept in touch and uh, returned back to Netherlands. And, um, uh, the person putting me on the hot seat uh, was conceived. Um, um, and uh, I, I. Uh, my head, was, my head was full of uh, work, study, and uh, future. Um, I was raised like that hard from Lagos, and um, I, didn't consider, I didn't consider love. I was so dutiful. I was very, very dutiful professionally, dutiful 
socially and domestically. I didn't think of a love factor in the realm that I grew up to know better. Uh, I, at, uh, as 22-year-old, 24-year-old, I was all about duty and work, uh, or study, because I was setting the foundation for, for, for a future that was not allowed to fail. I was not allowed to fail. I, I, have, I had that sense of, sense of myself. And um, uh, we, uh, I was accepted as such. And uh, what's just difficult to uh, explain myself is, similar to the earlier stories we heard today, raised in the church, in the church tradition, um, wasn't supposed to do anything like that before marriage and the rest of it. I couldn't communicate any of that to my mom at home. And um, we, uh, we had the first child. And then uh, a year and a half later, we then decided to marry. Um, both her parents and uh, my, both her, both her parents uh, accepted, accepted it. I don't know, they were, they were filled with fear of what I was going to do um, with that uh, new responsibility on, the, on, on our hands. And uh, I was not a, a close resident in Perth, close to where she was living. Um, things were in the air for about a year and a half, and then we decided to marry. So um, that's the, 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 the difficult bit that we hadn't talked about. Yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> yes. um, and um, I'm hopeful of many things will come out of today. Um, one of which is a more open forum, and I, and I know we are short on time, and these aren't conversations that can be squeezed into to anything, let alone a, a public forum. Uh, however, um, I did want to understand... My mother died when I was seven, leaving me with a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. I can't imagine how hard that was. What was the hardest part about it for you? Oh, the, oh, the, the, the hardest part of it was that uh, the future you just don't know. Having the, having the children, um, having the children in front of me, on my hands, all over me, was uh, something I could handle and deal with. And I'm thankful and grateful to uh, both church raising and uh, my mom. Um, so what, we, uh, what, what couldn't she handle? It, uh, yeah, just balancing, balancing that future. What to do with uh, I, as a dutiful person, wanting to achieve, wanting to set my foundation, strong foundation for my future. Um, how was I going to do it? I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any network in Perth or Western Australia. Um, the, uh, we, uh, this is how I, uh, I got, I spoke with uh, my parents-in-law. They assured me, guaranteed me their support. And then um, I, uh, I was referred to uh, 
Wonsley, Wonsley home, which then provided um, a foster, a foster, not a foster arrangement, a daycare, a day, not a daycare, but a, a foster a arrangement. Foster, a foster home. Yeah, at Catherine Macaulay, which allowed the three children to be placed in a home with husband and wife and their own children and other fostered individuals, no more than six children. Um, so one, not one biological child, my three children, and uh, two other fostered children. In my situation, it was accept they accepted that uh, my children will be there for the next couple of years if I want to, and, um, and I will have access, I would have access to them as I return back to the city. And that was what um, I, uh, we, we agreed on. But the process, there's a, there's a little, pro I could just quickly run through that. The process of achieving that uh, home arrangement was that the, the Wonsley home was going to arrange me as a male to lose the children, which means they were going to take the children the, for me to relinquish the children. That was the proposition. <laughs> Sorry, was that Catherine McCauley, or was that we we Ca were we were foster children at Catherine McCauley? Yes. Was the other scenario you the, losing the children, you the, losing me, us? Yes. The the yeah the the network of the care of the care services available was that once the home was proposing for me to lose the children, to relinquish the children, and. Um, I just uh, didn't, it was like I didn't understand the English they were speaking because it just didn't fit into my cultural understanding of this is me, the parent, and you are proposing to me that you want to take the children. What did we talk about before you reached that decision? How did you assess that you wanted to do that without preparing me for it? I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, it wasn't a case of not understanding it. I, uh, my, my back, my back just, my, the hairs on the back just went up. My, uh, you know, crushing teeth just uh, fanged out. And um, I just uh, showed them that um, I think we are coming from two different opposing cultures here, because it is not what I would expect you to be talking with me. So. I put my line on, I put my wishes on the line. I do not want to relinquish the children. I am unable of parent. Don't see me as a male who cannot provide a home and caring and parenting for the children. So for some reason, on the, oh, on the, in, the, in the background, they went you know, to and fro, had a discussion within their management, and they accepted me to go to Catherine Macaulay, and then they will arrange a, a, parent, a foster parent that will allow me to continue reaching my children as often as I wanted every weekend or every fortnight into the future. 
at least the first two years if I needed it. And uh, it was just solved like that. But the proposition they gave me was they were going to take the children. And I just told them this was not going to be possible by you. You know? I didn't, I certainly didn't know that. Um, that you had to fight for us. I felt like you had to put us somewhere for a while while you got things sorted out, but it's nice to know that, um, it's, it's, it's nice to know that now. We only have, I think, five minutes left. Um, oh, okay. We have 10 minutes left. So let me see what else I can find. Uh, I would like to talk about African men and love. Oh. <laughs> uh, you can thank your daughter-in-law for this direction. <laughs> uh, I recall uh, refusing to uh, get on a plane to go to take up an American college scholarship uh, as a 19-year-old until you told Lani, our sister, that you loved her, um, which you did. Why is it so, do you think it's a cultural thing? I was always jealous of Australian fathers who would express, I love you, I love this, I love that. Is it a cultural African thing that makes it difficult for you to express love, whether it be to your wife or, no, not to your wife, whether it, express love maybe verbally, I'm, I'm not sure, to your wife. Is it a cultural thing or is it a you thing? Oh, no, no, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not a me thing at all. Uh, we simply, as we didn't know that word when we were, when we were growing up. We were kept part of, uh, part of keeping us, uh, part of keeping us, you know, we were kept. We were kept away from. We were kept away from. Um, you know, from expressing. We were kept away from expressing ourselves as we grew up through the years of adolescence. We were kept. With kept away from what your body, what your body is going through, uh, in development. Um, by sinking your, by you know, you know, deep, you know, sink yourself in your in the education that you're having, um, being respectful in the community, being active in the community, um, for those children who did not, who were not um, academically inclined, I wondered what trouble they got into if they were not keeping busy, performing well in school or sticking to studying their books and they're not doing much of housework and things like that. So likewise, uh, we didn't express ourselves uh, of what we, our body is going through. When you become a young adult also, we, I, for one, okay, I for one did not grow with television and I did not watch movies. 
I did have uh, high school mates who, who watched movies, who went to movies, who read novels and the rest of it, which I didn't partake in. And they did talk about using the word love or use, talk about um, the, what is written in, in, story, in fiction novels and stuff like that. I just didn't, um, so it's, I didn't pra practice expressing that word love in, my, in the family frame, in the network of family and friends. We just didn't use, we didn't know that word. And it's not traded, oh, this thing is close. It's not traded in the society. It's not, trade, it's not used in the society of, um, of the Nigerians, if you like. Because when I, I scan around, look at the Nigerians that um, we know here in the last, uh, I've been here for 43 years. Um, we do not express that. But what, uh, what's creating a little bit of a, 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 conf a, a conflict in my mind is we have, a word, we have an expression of monifere, which means I have love for you. But we never use that. I never use that word. I don't know. Um, and even when, one, when my friend used that word, he was, virtual, he was more or less dragged into, he was forced to, bro to bring that into conversation by a female, a Western female here in, uh, in Perth. So speaking of Western females. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, did you tell my mum that you loved her? Oh. Uh, um, this, is, yeah, this is another aspect that uh, her dad asked me. Grandpa, Grandpa yes. Flintoff? Yes, yes. And he he asked you if, if... Yes. He did ask me and I did not... I was not confused. It, it, the truth could not be, exp I could not put the truth into words, but I could not defend, I could not, I could not defend myself from what I, what I was. I, as in, we didn't use, we didn't know these words, we didn't know this expression, exposition of, uh, you know, even, Relationship, relationship, the word relationship, um, we had to, it's at, it's at an arm's length, if you like, which is strange. You saying that here in the Western environment and context. There is relationship over there, but it is not physical. It is not like you hear nowadays people say, I'm a huggy person. That's still. I'm so still distant. This is just this is a me thing. But many, many of the men, African West African men, many of the West African men are distant from the huggy huggy. Up till this generation, up till this generation I'm talking. So I explain I explained mys myself to the dad in law that um, I did. But I didn't, ex I didn't say it. You know, I did with my being, being dutiful. I did with being present. I did with being loyal. 
I did with a, not complaining about cooking. <laughs> I cooked. <laughs> I cooked. <laughs> okay, well, um, <laughs> uh, I, I thought we would finish this by saying I still don't know, but now <laughs> I do know, I just don't understand. Um, but I would like to, I guess, finish this by saying uh, I do love you and thank you for everything you've put into our lives. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To listen to more stories and conversations or to make a donation to the Centre for Stories, head to centreforstories.com.